0: Welcome to Overdrive, a program where we never let facts get in the way of a good argument about motoring and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories from around the world, including a UK university developing a groundbreaking model that predicts where potholes will occur. We road test the new Hyundai Tucson and wander off into a discussion about connectivity between your phone and your car. We also road test the Citroen DS3 and wander off into a discussion about the first car that travelled around Australia. And in our panel discussion with Errol Smith and Brian Smith we take a light hearted look at stories including Dodge creates new ads for a car that is unavailable. Have a question or a comment send it to overdrive at drivenman Media.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news.
1: Plugging your electric car in to recharge seems simple enough, but now we need to consider what this means in terms of electricity supply. Electricity grids weren't necessarily designed with electric vehicles in mind, and with an influx of electric vehicles replacing fossil fuel cars, power utilities are reported to be feeling the strain. If too many EV owners charge up their car during times of high energy demand, the grid can get overwhelmed, leading to higher energy costs and greater risks of blackouts. BMW has now developed a system for its i3 owners that when electricity demand is high they can delay a charge for a cash rebate. The system is called Charged Forward, and a test program has been established involving 100 i3 owners who have given BMW the ability to rearrange their charging schedules in response to high demand for electricity. A Canadian law firm said it recently filed a lawsuit against Fiat Chrysler automobile seeking $4 billion in damages in connection to the massive recall announced by the automaker earlier in July. It has been reported by Reuters that the Milan-listed shares dropped in price and trading was temporarily suspended. The company said it would recall 1.4 million vehicles in the United States to install software to prevent hackers from gaining remote control of their engines. The US vehicle safety watchdog, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, has just placed a record $105 million fine on Fiat Chrysler for lapses in safety recalls involving millions of vehicles. Fiat has said the recent problem with their cars being hacked was isolated to the American market and did not affect cars sold in Australia. An innovative new Geographic Information System, or GIS model, developed by the UK's Cranfield University, has been used successfully by the Lincolnshire County Council to predict where potholes will frequently reoccur in roads, thereby saving money on expensive resurfacing. This is not just a case of predicting the number and weight of vehicles travelling on the road. A key interpretation for this project was ground shrinkage and swelling from the surface to two meters below it, a geohazard. The road foundations are critical. A large number of rural roads are constructed with practically no foundation. They are just laid onto the earth. And so if the earth is moving around, that's going to impact on the road, and has an immediate impact on the maintenance of the road as well. Not all Australian vehicle manufacturing is to be lost. Tasmanian motorcycle BRAP is making a global impact. Through tapping into the Chinese market, BRAP has experienced 400% growth in sales in the past year. Last year, their motorcycles outsold similar models from major international manufacturers. Founded in northern Tasmania in 2005 by owner and CEO Brad Smith, BRAP has just celebrated their 10th anniversary. 28-year-old Brad Smith was the 2010 Young Australian of the Year for Tasmania, Australian Young Entrepreneur of the Year and International Young Entrepreneur of the Year runner-up. Electric vehicles are touted as being environmentally more sensitive and one of the ways to the future. But they are expensive and have, so far, remained the province of the rich. That means low-income families who tend to live in parts of cities more vulnerable to pollution can't always access the advances in clean transportation technology. LA wants to level the playing field with a new pilot program to subsidise EV car sharing. The city just won a $1.6 million grant from the Californian Air Resources Board to put 100 car share vehicles, at least 80 of which are electric, into the low-income neighbourhoods. The city still needs to figure out who will operate the service, but it hopes to get the new cars rolling by early next year. Transport modelers have evaluated how we make our trips on fairly simplistic parameters of how long does the trip take, and how much does it cost. But the reason for trips and the flexibility that is inherent in why people travel, and how they travel, is not as clearly understood. Now some researchers in Salt Lake City in Utah have been looking closely at the factors that generate the number of walkers. After counting pedestrians on hundreds of blocks, they found that having a lot of other walkers The amount of street furniture, including benches and ATM machines, and the number of bottom floor windows all had statistically positive relationships to the number of pedestrians. A revolutionary technology that provides instant tyre pressure readings for cars, trucks and buses without the need to stop the vehicle is being piloted on the UK's M6 motorway. According to figures from the UK's Road Safety Observatory, in 2014, approximately 25 deaths and nearly 1,500 serious accidents could be attributed to poorly inflated tyres or defective tyres. It could be considered that modern cars will remove the need for such a device because they have their own tyre pressure monitors, but this device gives feedback to the authorities and could be used as a policing system. Recent studies conducted by police forces across the UK found that 86% of cars involved in accidents had at least one incorrectly inflated tyre. And that has been the news.
0: You might say that Hyundai has tried to make their new Tucson mid-size SUV safe and sound, depending on the model. And when you buy it, you can get a good range of safety features and the latest in Apple and Android connectivity linked to your entertainment system. The Tucson name replaces the iX35. This leaves some models with full names and some with symbolic names like the i30 and so on. But that's uh, Hyundai's problem. Uh, The Tucson costs between about $28,000 and $45,500 plus on-roads uh, but before getting into the safe and sound features, it does come with other significant design upgrades. Paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au and I were at the launch, and to talk about the car, he joins us on the line. Good day, Paul. Thanks for your time. Hello,
2: David. Uh,
0: it's a bigger model than the one it replaces.
2: It certainly is, David. It, um, it's, it's interesting to see that Hyundai has sort of moved out of the small SUV, is not a lot bigger. And we know these categories are, are very finely defined. But the mm. Tucson being bigger means that there is now no Hyundai in the small SUV class.
0: That's a class that's growing very, very quickly. But the medium-sized SUV class, I think Hyundai said, um, was the second largest segment in our whole market. So uh, we know SUVs are booming and medium ones Still hold pride of place in the SUV market.
2: Yes, they do, and I've got to say this: this new Tucson will continue what exactly where the IX 35 left off. I mean, the IX 35 was the second best seller in its class behind the Mazda, um, and I think that surprised just about everyone except Hyundai, who knew it was going to happen. And the Tucson is going to is going to continue that. It's going to be just as big a seller. I feel.
0: Mm. It's moving in that direction of making it more car-like and smooth. I knew someone who was looking at cars and drove an iX35, found it just a little bit too, agricultural is too hard a word, but a bit boxy and SUV-ish, as opposed to perhaps something which is a little bit more car-like, they ended up buying a Subaru. Uh, now, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you judge it harshly at all, but certainly the Tucson makes some steps towards more smoother driving. Did you did you find it easy to drive? Oh,
2: look, it was, it was particularly easy to drive. It, it, as you said, mm. your definition is perfectly right. They're becoming more and more car-like, uh, still with the cap- capabilities of SUVs. Uh, as we said in a uh, previous discussion, all these vehicles will require a compromise. It's a matter of how much you can minimise that compromise on each side of the scale, and oh, Hyundai, having done their suspension and and, and drives line settings, and they've they've done so much local testing, they have really they have really just they, they they keep raising the bar.
0: Mm. Uh, we, we drove it across some dirt roads, uh, which I think were rutted and potholed. I, I thought that while that's not climbing up the side of mountains, it is still roughing it a bit in some sense. And really it was, uh, I thought, very good. It was still easy to drive, it was still smooth to drive. Bang, you hit a couple of bumps and what have you. It coped with that. Uh, and so I I feel that uh, a little bit like Subarus in a way that it, it's it's bridging that gap that you can go onto a dirt road but you've still got comfort and convenience.
2: Yeah, I think that's the case. And most people who buy these vehicles will will really not go roughing it into the outback. Uh, I mm. tend to agree with you. I think Subaru still sets the standard when it comes to car-like SUV characteristics. Mm. But I mean, Hyundai, as I said, they've. They've applied, I mean, they went through 103 different damper settings and spring settings and stabiliser bar settings and and all the tyre combination. As you can imagine, when you have different sized wheels from, you know, 16-inch to Mm. 18-inch, when you have then different profile tyres and different different um characteristics of tyres, it's very difficult to make sure that all the vehicles demonstrate the same on road characteristics. Hyundai have done an amazing job with that. They bring in a they bring in a specialist from he's English but he lives in France, a guy called Dave Potter. And yeah. and they and he and the, the local team just spend weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks putting these vehicles through every possible permutation to see what's the best and they are probably the behind the guys here are probably the best at it in the market at the moment
0: i think we better leave it there paul it's been lovely to talk to you thank you very much for your time
2: thank you david
0: and that's paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au we were talking about the hyundai tucson a medium-sized suv vehicle and how it should make a big splash in the market And if you would like to read more about that as we discuss not only the car but also issues to do with connectivity and what it might mean to you, go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au.
2: Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au.
0: This year is the 90th anniversary of the first car to be driven around Australia. It was a 1923 Citroen 5CV two-seater boat-tail Tourer, small car they nicknamed Bubsy. It had a 0.8-litre engine, four-cylinder, three-speed manual gearbox, and it weighed a mere 543 kilograms. The model that actually came out a little later had an an almighty 8.2 kilowatts of power. How time's change. I've just been driving the Citroen DS3, available as a sedan and cabrio. Let me start by saying I walked out of the house and went to get in it, and I thought it looked funky. It was not a wild design, but it just looked striking enough to encourage me to think, that it has a specific market. It's not as quirky as the Fiat 500, although it's a little bigger. It certainly had individuality, a disposition that was not wildly in-your-face, but it had a sense of its style. It makes a statement without having to go all punk. And uh, another person who has been driving that and who had a chance to drive a 1923 Citroën just uh, the other day is Brent Davidson, and he joins me on the line now. Brent, going back to the 1923 one, you gave up the opportunity to do that?
3: I did, David. Um, Let me tell you why. Um, I'm a very, very clumsy chap with very large feet. The feet is a delicate... uh, Sorry, did I say feet? I should have said it. The Citroën is a very delicate little thing um, with the brake pedal and the accelerator pedal on uh, the opposite sides to which we are familiar i didn't want to break the car i just want to make a fool of myself um, most importantly i didn't want to break the car
0: <laughs> <laughs> so i watched others the, do
3: it it was fun
0: yeah uh, uh, having the accelerator under your left foot is extremely dangerous because you're used to pushing the clutch to the floor
3: exactly okay, right
0: quite often if people break with their left foot they break extremely hard because they're used to pushing a clutch all the way to the floor.
3: Exactly right. So, yes, I, I chose uh, to, uh, to be kind to the little Citroen and uh, spare it from the Davison.
0: Well, you could have made national news.
3: Yeah, I'd rather do it in, a, in, a, in fine fashion rather than a bad one. <laughs> but I have to tell you, a very, a very, very brief story. Um, some years ago, I interviewed a, a Perth couple who were recreating the, um, the drive around Australia by the, uh, by the, the guys in 1923. Um, and I had two bites at the cherry, and the second one was very unfortunate. Uh, the first one, they'd driven from Perth via Darwin to Sydney, and I had lunch with them, and we got a lovely little story out of it. The second time I spoke to the husband on the phone, they'd been uh, hit by a truck um, somewhere along the road between Adelaide and Perth on their way home and um the car was in very very bad shape, but unfortunately the poor guy's wife was in even worse shape. And the long story, the very very short story of that long story is that several months passed, and while the lady recuperated, all the friends of the family and other enthusiasts gathered together, uh, searched around the world, raised money, rebuilt the car, and took it back basically to where it had had come unstuck. And uh, husband and wife jumped in and drove it back to Perth from that point.
0: Oh, isn't that lovely? Yeah,
3: and the story I wrote, unfortunately, was uh, was the husband's uh, written uh, epistle to me, telling me of the uh, unfortunate demise at that point of the little car. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So there you go. That is my brush <laughs> with uh, with fi- fame and um, and very small citrons.
0: A very small section. Well, this is a small car. We're talking about a small car here. It's in the light car class, less than four metres long. It's not big. Oh, exactly right. And look, you're
3: right. It is 39, 48 millimetres. But I come back to your opening statement about you walked outside and looked at it and thought how funky it was. I have to mm-hmm. agree with you. I've loved mm-hmm. the style of this car from the day I first saw it. And I think it's where many would probably have liked to have gone. It's, it's got this sort of cantered forward B-pillar that comes to a bit of a triangle at the roof. It has what the French call a floating roof line. It's got a nice rise to its waistline. The windscreen angle is right. There is there is not a lot to dislike visually with this car. And it's the sort of car that every time you see it, you have a little smile. And, and to me, that says something special about a car when you can look at it. Sometime down the track, I still just have that little smile and say, yeah, I think you still look pretty cool.
0: Brent, lovely to talk to you as always, and your experiences from 1923 cars, not from you personally, uh, through to the modern is just much appreciated. Thanks for your time. David, it's
3: always my pleasure.
0: That's Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury. We were talking about the Citroen DS3.
1: Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia.
0: And finally, that part of the program where we discuss the more unusual stories, the quirky stories to do with motoring and transport. And once again, to help me on the way, I have on the line Errol Smith. G'day Errol. G'day David. And Brian Smith. G'day Brian. G'day David. Now, let's start with the story. Uh, In America, the Dodge Charger and the Dodge Challenger Hellcat uh, have been announced by Fiat Chrysler and they have uh, received great public acceptance with many orders going on there. Now they've got the situation where they've got more orders than they've got cars to be made, but Fiat Chrysler is not going to cease the car ads for them. They're going to run 90-second and 30-second ads. And uh, it is, of course, a hero car to them. But uh, is this a good idea? The only thing that we do note is that Phil Collins has got uh, his cheesebuster uh, song and the tune of it is being used in the ads call, from In The Air Tonight, which I guess might be yes, some way for Chrysler uh, to <laughs> discourage people from actually buying the car. Uh, what do we it, think, it, gentlemen? It's,
1: it's possible. I, I believe it sounds something like this. We don't have to worry about predators like our ancestors did. No saber toothed tigers
3: stalking from the brush. No dire wolves circling the camp. There are no more monsters to fear. And so we have to build our own.
0: I, I think we get the idea. So, I think that's a socially responsible act. So ant, hang on a minute.
4: You're, they're building monsters. This is to frighten people, is it? The, or do you want to be the, the person in control frightening other folk?
0: Oh, I think that, yeah, that's it, that you're controlling the monster, mm. which, uh, quite, as you quite rightly say, frightens people. Well, look, David,
4: I think this goes to uh, that famous saying um, that uh, the, worst, the the only thing worse than being than not being... Sorry, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. So the idea that um, that having an Africa car that's not... Um, Available is, is negative. It's wrong. I think. I think any advertising for um, Dodge Chrysler, from their perspective, would be good. It just builds the excitement. It uh, builds awareness of the brand.
0: It, this is something that uh, is great, but you can't have it at the moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, if you yeah. join yeah. the queue. Ha, ha ha! You can't have this. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like, like the image <laughs> of buying a base model Commodore when you're dreaming of buying a you know or having a V eight supercar. And what they might do is put a wing on the back for you just to make you feel a little closer to the uh, dream uh, this is <laughs> yes. this is a case of doing
4: yeah, it. yeah I guess Subaru too trying to make their cars look uh, some of their cars look more and more like the wrx just yes. the rx to you know you can't get there but you've got the, the kind of image so yeah look I think it's a it's strange it's obviously um you know they're they're creating a demand potentially for something that they can't supply um but you know, they spend a lot of money on the ad, why not get it out there and just get people excited about the brand?
0: And you get them coming in through the door yeah. and then you can deal Sell with it. Sell them something I'm else sure like,
4: that they can actually afford. Yeah. Or say to them, Look, no, I, I don't see well, you that's, at the that's, that's will the of the awesome mm, You're not a monster so kind of see, driver.
0: So it's the <laughs> idea that you, you go into the the showroom to buy the Hellcat and they say, Oh, sorry. That one's We're sold, sold out. out.
4: Yeah, but mm. we've got this one but here. But we've got
0: But we've <laughs> got this one. Um, I believe that's called, bait, that's called new... bait and switch.
4: <laughs> <laughs> this is a bit like uh, your uh, vacation movie, you know, where um, you've know, you you you've got the family truckster, whether you like yes. it or not.
0: Yeah. Uh, I uh, once was uh, talking in a corporate planning sense to a guy who was manager of an insurance product in New Zealand, and he had it actually the reverse way. They launched a new product. They began to sell... So much of it that they met their targets, so they stopped advertising. Right. And I said to them, "Could you have sold more if you had wanted to?" Two? And he said, oh, yes, it, there was nothing you know, and there's nothing in the pipeline that would slow us down from selling more things, but we'd met our targets, so we stopped advertising. <laughs> well, that was a, that's, a, that's a classic of the old quality management. If you set a target, people will meet that target no matter what the cost to the company. Uh, so sounds like it. So like a, a government department was selling that product, David. <laughs> no, it wasn't quite. But, uh, of course, if they you can't buy the real thing, I guess someone will make a lot of money selling mock-up kits to this Chrysler's cars.
4: Oh, okay, Good yeah, some plastic pack. bits to make it look like
0: it. Yeah, just paint up the outside mm. and, and see if you can look the same. Hmm. All right, uh, an interesting thing. Do you advertise a car that you don't have enough to sell? Brian, you, you have a story.
4: Certainly, David. They do things a little differently in Queensland and on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, Zach Murray was uh, driving his father's car uh, along the Sunshine Motorway at Bar, uh which is north of Brisbane, and it's a 100 kilometer per hour zone. Um, and he got a surprise to receive uh, a $151 speeding fine in the mail um soon afterwards, uh, he'd been pinged by a speed camera which set his speed, his alleged speed, of 100 kilometres per hour in a 100 kilometre per hour zone. So, basically, in Queensland, they fine you for driving at the speed limit. Mm. So, and, and, in fact, <laughs> they, uh, the offence was exceed speed limit by less than 13 kilometres an hour. So there must be some kind of rounding error here, I guess. They haven't gone uh, into no, decimals. No. So it might have been 100.1 kilometres per hour.
0: Now, Brian, now, now they always say that you should drive under the speed limit.
4: Ah, So, so they if were he su- was doing
0: the actual speed limit, technically he was speeding
4: his by zero kilometres like, an hour. Yeah, but his speedo may well have been showing 105 or 110, which yes. meant he had an intent to speed. Hint. Ah, well, it's new
0: technology, closed. it's going to be measuring what you're doing. It's going to be profiling you and, and measuring everything. So they, as you say, they might book him for the intention of speeding,
4: mm. that yeah. you might
0: think about breaking the law. Or well,
4: he may have thought he was breaking the law, um, but because his speedo was over, 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 over the reporting. Thing.
0: If mm. it was a so Toyota, it's, it's probably 10% over. It's like a guilt camera or something.
4: <laughs> you look guilty. Queensland Police have reversed the fine and admitted that it was an uh, administrative error um, and it said the analogue mobile camera recorded the details of two vehicles travelling at the legal speed limit while it was being tested by the operator so they're saying there wasn't anything wrong with a camera there was an error in the manual adjudication process so they're actually firing the thing at uh, law-abiding drivers I guess to calibrate it
0: maybe it added the two speeds together
4: (laughs) that's right (laughs)
0: <laughs> that whole thing of, uh, you know, thinking about breaking the law, uh, you've got a look on your face that says that uh, you think a policeman is a pig. You know, there might be some uh, way of profiling you.
4: You're sneering at, at uh, you, the police yeah. camera.
0: Gentlemen, uh, lovely to talk to you. Uh, thank you once again for your wit and your wisdom.
4: David, you're very welcome.
0: No worries, David. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith, and we were talking some uh, unusual approaches to the area of motoring and transport. And if you would like to hear a longer interview, you can go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au where we cover a few more subjects. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Paul Morell, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.